We are living in a time when our nation and world is fractured into fragments fighting with each other. Each segment is convinced that it is right and all the other people are wrong. Everyone's shouting and no one's listening. Now, it may all seem like this is new and intense. That might be how we feel. But we must understand that this has been going on ever since Yahweh came down to the earth and caused a multiplicity of languages, a division into many tongues in order to scatter the people who had been trying to build a city on their own. And it wasn't God's city, it was their city. And then they were building a tower to try to get themselves to heaven and to God, rather than just receiving God as a gift of grace. That's how God wants us to take him, as a gracious gift. And this happened just before Yahweh. Well, not just before. We don't know. It could have been hundreds of years. But the next thing in Scripture is Yahweh calling Abraham out and giving Abraham a sevenfold blessing that was for all the nations of the earth. And we can read the account of these two events in consecutive chapters of the Bible, the 11th and 12th, way back in the beginning of Scripture. But 2,000 years ago, God sent his eternal son to earth, born a human baby. He was conceived in a virgin woman by the Holy Spirit, and then he was born in the house of bread, in Hebrew, Beth Lechem. And by his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to the throne of heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Jesus Christ, in English, the Savior, King and Priest, he made it possible for people to be reconciled to God, God first, and then reconciled to each other. And what each person must do is first hear the truth about Jesus Christ. And then having heard that truth, he or she must turn from himself and his own ways to God and to God's ways. And this can only be done in humble, submitted, dependent faith in who Jesus Christ is and in all that he has done. And this is, uh, by doing this, God gives to people the ability now to do the instruction, the Torah, 
that he had given through Moses the first five books of Scripture. And by doing his will, by doing this, of receiving Jesus Christ and all that he is, it will put an end to the divisions brought about, plain and simple, by human pride. That's the bottom line. Okay. Now, today's passage in Philippians, which we have heard, gives commands and guidance to citizens in God's kingdom who have been reconciled to him. And it's in two parts, and it divides neatly at the chapter division. So part one, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, strive together for the gospel, not afraid of opponents. It has been granted or given to you to believe in Christ, and to suffer for him, as you have seen in me. Again, Paul is a model, and, and he's a model for them, and he should be a model for us. So the first half of this first part is, as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ, striving together in the spirit, not afraid of opponents, which will signal their destruction and your salvation. So the very first word of command is as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, now thank God for the Amplified Bible um, and I, you don't even have to know Greek. I'll just tell you the first part of this verb is poly, poly, like a, a palace, a city, okay, like a metropolitan area and you become a citizen of a city. So, you know, you might even want to, if you have your own Bible, strike out this, you know, conduct yourselves, live as citizens, okay? We're citizens of God's kingdom. And at the end of this letter, at the end of chapter 3, Paul will remind these believers their citizenship is ultimately in heaven, where Christ is now and from where he will return where the priest king, the one who reconciled us, but is the ruler of everything, right now he's reconciling people to himself through his church. So be worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. That's our first point this morning. And then he says, so that, um, either having come to you, or if I'm remaining where I am in this Roman prison, I may hear some things concerning you. Again, there's this very close relationship between the Apostle Paul and the members of this church in Philippi. And I've already talked about Acts 16. I'll get back to it again in a while when he planted this church. And now he's commanding them to live worthy of Christ so that he may hear good things about them while he's separated from them in Rome as a prisoner. That you are standing firm in one spirit, in one soul. This one spirit is indeed the Holy Spirit, the third person of God who was sent unto the church of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. And he's saying that if you are 
humbly submitting fully to Jesus Christ in faith, you have this spirit and you can be standing firm and then striving together in the faith of the gospel. Now this word for striving is athleteo. It's got the same root. You don't, again, you don't have to know Greek. Our noun is athlete. You're striving as an athlete. Paul loves to use athletic metaphors. And then he says, and not in nothing. And in the Bible language, a double negative is a stronger negative. It's not a positive. Not being frightened on account of the enemy opponents of you. So I, I thought of, uh, again, First John, uh, what he said, um, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if they're standing firm in the spirit, this guarantees, because right in that context of the beginning of chapter 4, he says you can be overcomers because of God's spirit. You can overcome these powerful enemies in Christ. Again, everything has to do with Christ. If we're not in Christ, we can't do anything. If we're in Christ, he will work through us and we will see amazing miracles. And he said, and, um, let's see, when you are not frightened, when you are not frightened, this will be a sign to them. The New America Standard said, omen but of their destruction and your salvation. The word for sign literally means a pointing out, but it has the sense of demonstration, proof, or sign. So over and over in God's word, oh, I'm sorry, um, it will be a sign to them of their destruction and your salvation. And I can't tell you many sermons I've given because God lays out two ways in scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We either surrender to him and become his people and be saved, or we insist on our own way and we're destroyed. It goes back to at least the first Jesus, Joshua. Remember at the end of his life when he called all the people together. And he said, you know, I've laid before you these ways just as Moses did before me. The choice is up to you. Choose this day whom you will serve. And that's what we all must do. And then he says, and he concludes this first half of the first part, all of this is from God. The salvation, the destruction, the gospel, everything. God is ultimately in charge of everything. So, um, if we choose God, and we sang it earlier, if our choice is I'm going to follow God and God fully, we'll be able to sing with joy one of the themes of Philippians. To God be the glory. Everything will be for the glory of God. Then he continues in the second part of this first half saying, because it has been granted or given um, to you all on behalf of Christ to believe in him and to suffer for him having the same agony you have seen and heard in me. And again, that's the Greek word, agony. 
that's used in this passage. Because you were given on Christ's behalf. This is a gracious gift from God. And all who receive Christ so that they are, as in the first part, standing with him and striving with him to accomplish his mission. That's the basis for grace. God gives us grace to stand in the battle and accomplish his mission. Thy will be done. And again, in Christ, for Paul, and really for all believers in Christ, he is the center of everything in our life. And, and after I wrote this, it occurred to me, what's the definition of sin? Whenever we do something where Christ is not in the center of it. That's what it means to fall short. We're doing our thing. We're not involving him. He needs to be in the center of all we do. And he says that you not only believe in him, not only believe in him, but are suffering on his behalf. I remember the first time this really exploded into my consciousness over 20 years ago. I think we all need to hear that. You know, we think, oh, believe in Jesus and life gets real easy. No, he suffered for us. And in the Gospels, he said, if you want to follow him, take up your cross and follow me. God's gift given in Christ has two parts. First of all, yes, to believe in him, all he is, all that he has done. But second, also to suffer and if need be, even die for him and with him. I already mentioned the taking up of the cross, but here's the promise, people. Remember Romans chapter 8. All those who maintain faith in Christ through everything in the end are more than conquerors. Neither death nor anything can separate me from the love of God in Christ. So let's unite in faith and suffering in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that Jesus sent. So he says, you're having the same troubles, the same agony as you saw in me past tense and now are hearing about me. And again, remember Acts 16. What happened? As soon as he cast that prophesying demon out of the slave girl, the whole city came after him. They threw him in jail. After they beat him, He's singing hymns with Silas. There's an earthquake. They're set free. The jailer freaks out. He says, we're still here. And a church gets planted. But it had happened in his suffering, in the agony of being beaten and chained. And now they are hearing, and we'll see in a few weeks, from Epaphroditus, who was one of them. And they were about 900 miles separated between Philippi and Rome. It took 30 days on the Roman road to go just one way. And he was going back and forth, bringing news and connecting them with each other. Okay? So we've come to the end of the first part. And let's think about the country we're living in today, America. What's this like? Well, Christians should be suffering in experiencing agony because the materialism that has run rampant in our culture, it's coming into the church. And I'm not just talking about the prosperity gospel. There's other more subtle ways it's coming in to the church. 
of Jesus Christ. And, and we're dividing, just think of all the denominations, we're dividing over things that are non-essentials. Remember, to the Corinthians, Paul said, sometimes there have to be heresies among you to divide out the wheat from the chaff and the truth from the not. But we're dividing over silly little things. The church is not all that it's supposed to be. And what is needed is that all of the people of the church of Jesus Christ focus on him. Put him number one. Put him in the center of everything. Now I'm going to give you a quote, and I've acknowledged it in the outline. I love Gordon Fee's commentary, and I love the way he puts it. For his sake, for him who loved us to death. Jesus Christ loved us to death. So here's our challenge. May we all desire the unity in Christ necessary to be worthy citizens of his gospel, to live in his salvation, and also to accept the suffering that comes through faith in him. It's all part of one package. Next thing Paul goes on to say, because as hard as this was, he says, you need something more. So, from the encouragement, love, and fellowship of the three-in-one God, complete my joy, having the same mind and love, united in soul, not being selfish but humble. Unity is the key thing of Philippians as far as I read it, and the unity leads to joy. So he says, therefore, if encouragement in Christ, love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and compassion, fulfill my joy, that's his command, that you have the same mind and love united in soul. So he's got a lot of these conditional statements, which the answer is supposed to be yes. So if therefore any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation, and by the way, this could also mean exhortation. Remember, sometimes we will console somebody who has gotten away from God by exhorting them to return to God in his love. Any consolation of love. Now, we sang it earlier. Love is from Father God. Now, remember, the Jews only knew God as Father and as one. And I love what he told them in Deuteronomy. God didn't choose you because you were anything special. In fact, you were the very least. You were extremely small. He chose you because he loves you. Because God loves you. And then we sang that song from 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we can be called the children of God. And then any fellowship in the Spirit. So here we have it. The Trinity. Okay, Encouragement, love, and fellowship are all a gift of the awesome three-in-one Trinity God. And I've asked you to cross-reference and you can read it you know, later today or sometime this week. 
his benediction at the end of his second letter to the churches in Corinth. And he uses grace and love and fellowship for the Trinity. And then if any affection or consolation, you see, the relationship attitudes that they are to have, one with another, the Christians who are in Philippi as they treat each other, it comes because they have been first reconciled to God through the faith of Jesus Christ. And now they're ready for the command, fulfill my joy. Now Paul will go on to explain how they can obey this command. However, let us, Never forget that being in Christ by receiving salvation in him, it results in Christians being able to enjoy the amazing, strong, life-changing love of God. I remember when God showed this to me three years ago. I'd been a Christian for 38 years. I thought I had it all down. The Bible's got promises, so if we believe them, we can obey his commands and we can be right with God. And then one day I realized these were both gracious gifts. So if we obey his commands through faith in his promises, what's the result? We get to enjoy God's amazing love. And, and I'm driving in my car, and I'm being quiet, and I'm in Lexington, and all of a sudden I'm going, yes, that's it. I get to enjoy your strong, wonderful love. And so do all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all about God's amazing love. And this motivates us and enables us to obey all of the commands that God has given in his word. And then he says, what's more from this? Well, that you Think the same. As we will see next week, Paul will command them in the next verse to have the same mind as Jesus Christ. And Peter would later say the same thing. He says, I command you to think like Christ, he who suffered for us. And having the same love. Okay, this is done. How do we have the same love for each other? We're not going to do it in our own strength. But it comes from sharing God's love, the love that God has given us when we get right with Christ, with each other in the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to always pray to be filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is, first of all, love. United in soul, thinking as one. One soul, one mind. So, it's impossible to understand this passage this morning and still think that being active in a local church is optional. How can we be united together as one alone? So, at all times, all Christians are called to be united in soul and in mind, each with the other, in the faith of Jesus Christ, even if we're suffering. So people, together, let us all unite in faith and suffering in the Holy Spirit. And then he closes with two verses with no verbs. And I'm going to stick one in so it makes sense, because they're implicit commands. Do nothing from selfishness and conceit, but in humility of mind, considering one another, surpassing yourselves. Yourselves, plural. 
So he says, do nothing from selfish ambition nor from empty conceit. Now we come back to the beginning, to the introduction. All of us human beings are broken in some part of our souls. All people are in some ways selfish and in other ways proud. This runs throughout scripture, but I've given you four psalms. Psalms are very, very powerful. I've given you two psalms about the universality of brokenness, Psalms 14 and 53. And then there's a couple of Psalms 10 and 36 that ramp it up for people that get extremely wicked by continuing to reject God. But in opposition to this, Paul says, in humility of mind, one another be thinking, surpassing themselves or yourselves. Christians must be humble. Next week, we will see how Christ emptied himself, and part of that emptying was indeed humility in order to redeem people. And then each considering not his own, but also the things each of all the others. So each disciple of Jesus must look beyond his or her own interest and consider each of all of the other members of his body, of his church. And let's take the very positive point that Paul concludes on. This perspective is needed in the world today. People are isolated. And they're communicating with each other by technical devices. And that's why I'm so happy to see so many of us here, even with the social distancing and the mask, because it is God's will that we interact face-to-face -face and in person. That's how God wants us to be. And if we could just be that way, it would overcome the problems I began with. So may we all here this morning receive encouragement, love, and fellowship from God's Holy Spirit to have the joy of unity that is not selfish, that is not proud. And may we all be united in humility of heart and mind, considering each one of all of the others in the church of Jesus Christ. Let us unite in faith and suffering in the Holy Spirit. So I've been going on probably for a good 20 plus minutes. Let's wrap it up in about 150 words. The apostle is exhorting his brothers in Philippi to be worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in the Holy Spirit and striving together as one but not being afraid of their opponents because by doing that, they're a sign to them of destruction and the salvation that comes from God to brothers in Christ. And this is because they have been granted for Christ's sake to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So in the gifts of the Trinity God, namely encouragement, love, and fellowship, they can obey the apostles' commands to fill up his joy in their unity of thinking, 
not being selfish or proud, that is, living for themselves, but instead they live by thinking the same and by having the same love, united in humility and considering each of all the others. So, as we come to the table of the Lord, let us unite in faith and suffering in the Holy Spirit.